0: We've been talking about the women's place in the assembly when we come together and meet, what God expects for that. Maybe you know as well as I do because I've never heard a sermon on the subject, not preached from the pulpit of a church. And I've been in church about as much as anybody has, I guess. But when people in the congregation want the information and consider it important, it's something we need to do. And people need to know what God has said about it and what he has to say about it. Because how can you be in the place God wants you to be if you don't know what that place is? I think it's probably not touched too much by contemporary preachers because it's such a touchy subject. There's a good chance they stand of offending somebody with it because this is God's plan from point A. I think I'll be able to show you that it's been going downhill ever since it started. But I would like to say something regarding that right right here now. And it has to do with preaching... Uh, giving a little bit of space for people. And I've said before, that's not my job. My job is to show people, what God's people, what God says. And then whatever you do with it, between you and God. There is one thing that I think is important. In any crowd like this, there will be some people Especially in our crowd, there will be some people who want to live their life different than everybody around them. And they're willing to go to the trouble to do that. They do it for God. And they need that chance. They need to know the things that don't get preached in every church every Sunday. So if they want to excel in their lives, in their relationship with God, they'll be able to. I know better than to think that everybody is going to turn their whole lives around 100% based on what I'm going to say this morning. But for those of you who want to, you need to know how. There's always been a group of people who wanted to live as close to God as they could. And then there's always been a group of people who live so close to the edge of hell that it's been said, a joke I guess, that they got to heaven with their shirt tails a-smoking. And that was their choice. That's the way they want to live. So with all that being said I'd like to run a little rabbit trail Before I start With the subject that I have for this morning It's something I feel is mighty important You may or may not want to go to the 14th chapter of Romans But there's four verses in there I would like for you to be reminded that are there If you don't know, the 14th chapter of Romans is the chapter in our scripture that says that you can't criticize everybody else for not living up to your standard. If you want this standard, then you live by it. But don't criticize or look down your nose at other people because they don't do it. In the 14th chapter of Romans in verse 12, it says, So then every one of you shall give account of himself to God. You see what that says. There is coming a time when each one of us will stand by himself in front of God's throne, in Jesus' throne. And he'll have to answer for those things he did after he was born again. So then don't worry about somebody else. If you can encourage them or edify them or admonish them or whatever to do better, then you're called to do that. But to run them down because they're not doing, you're not called to do that. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Now look at verse 14. I know, Paul says, and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Please understand that. Jesus says that that cigarette that that other guy is smoking is not a bad thing. Can it hurt you? Yep. My dad smoked the last one two hours before he fell out of bed dead and had lung cancer for six years. I understand all about that stuff, but he wouldn't quit. But still, it's not an unclean thing. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it's unclean. You see what it's saying here? Whatever you make your mind up is no good, is no good to you. But that doesn't mean it's no good to everybody else. And we need to be careful about that. A fellow called me up a few weeks ago and said, so-and-so told me that if I did so-and-so, I was going to hell. Would you care to answer that for me? I said, I'd be glad to. There's only one thing that sends anybody to hell, period. And that is not believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anything else anybody tells you or send you to hell is not true. Look at verse 22. Now here is an idea that hit me when I was a teenager. I've had a crusade going for it ever since I understood what it said. Verse 22 says, Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he allows. Happy is he in the things that he allows himself to do. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat. If you do something that you think is wrong, then you're damned for doing it. Paul says, because he eateth not of faith. If you do something and you don't have the faith to think it's okay for you to do it, you better not do it. It doesn't matter whether there's anything wrong with it or not or who up and down the road either way says that it's no good. If you do it and you think it's bad, God does not want you getting in the habit of doing things that you think is wrong, so you don't do it. But, like I did, whatever is not of faith is of sin. So what I did was spend a lot of time checking out the scriptures to find out what God actually expressed his opinion about. And if God didn't say it was bad, I'm not going to say it's bad either. There are people calling themselves children of God walking up and down the road both ways that are doing all kinds of things that they heard somebody say God didn't like and they never checked it out to find out. I dare say they're probably not too happy because it says here happy as a fellow it doesn't condemn himself because of what he does. For whatever is not of faith is sin. So don't do what you think is wrong. That's what this whole thing is about. We are to obey when God has expressed an opinion on Scripture. Or in personal revelation about anything. If you know that God says don't do it, then you know not to do it. Anything else that anybody preaches or anybody de- 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 defines from Scripture that they say is wrong, you check it out yourself. I've had an occasion in my life way before I ever became a preacher to discuss some of the subjects of sermons with preachers and ask them where they get it. I've been told all kind of answers. Well, you got to, you know, you got to preach on stuff like that if you're going to keep your preacher's license. I said, well, why don't you burn your license and preach what God told you to preach then? But they never preached a sermon again the same way. We saw last week how God made Satan and women to be natural enemies. You know what a natural enemy is? That's like a cat and a dog. A dog can come around a corner and see a cat, and he'll chase a cat. The cat hasn't done anything to that dog. He chases him because they are natural enemies. And that's what God made of Satan and the woman. Men, pray for the women in your life. Satan's Ephraim. Pray for your wife because as part of the curse she was given the desire to rule over you. It's something she has to fight every day. Pray for her and try to be the kind of person that she could live with that you wouldn't have to worry about. There's one thing that you need to understand from Scripture, and I hope by now maybe you figured it out. God intends for girls to look like girls and boys to look like boys. Walking down the road in public, in a crowd, or whatever, you ought to be able to tell whether a person is a girl or a boy by the way he acts and the way he dresses and the way he looks. And God intends for that to be distinguishable. And nothing but a bunch of people who are contentionable would suggest that a woman not wear a pair of pants. And I'm going to tell you, in my lifetime, I have had a pastor that his pastor trained him that if a woman walked in the front of their church while he was preaching with a pantsuit on, he'd stop preaching and order her out of that assembly until she could go get proper clothes on. Now that's how the situation is. Hadn't been that too long ago. And in some places it's still done, they tell me. God intends for Christian women to dress and act in compliance with their Christian character, their modesty, and their self-control. Christian character, modesty, and self-control. Those are God's will for women. And for men too, for that matter. I can find a place and show you how it says that for them too. But now let me say this, please. This that I will will talk about today and will teach today is not going to be for you to look around and see thousands of people, of women, changing their ways in order to comply with this. You need to understand that. Godly women will do this but the rest of the public won't and some godly women won't either. But in the thing that causes a woman to want to do everything she can do to be everything she needs to be in front of God is something that's a personal thing and each woman is going to have to deal with it by herself. But I go back to verse 23, happy. 22, happy is the woman in those things that she allows herself. If your conscience is clear before God in what you're doing, then I would encourage you to do it until he tells you to do something different. But it's not going to be a universal style. Everybody you see is not going to do it. It's not going to be done in Hollywood. It's not going to be done in the pages of fashion magazines. It's going to be done in Christian women's hearts. I'd like to show you something. It's in Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 12. Now please understand something. These things for godly women, the things that God wanted them to do, there's reasons for all of it. I hope to be able to explain it to you. But I want to show you that God's will was not being done with godly women 800 years before Christ. It had already started going downhill then. And please understand what God told Isaiah in the third chapter of Isaiah in verse 12, 800 years before Jesus Christ came into the world. As for my people, God says, children are their oppressors. The kids aren't minded." Sounds like today, doesn't it? And women rule over them. Sounds like today, doesn't it? Oh, my people, God says, they which lead thee cause thee to err and destroy the way of their path. So you see, 800 years before Jesus came to this earth, God's plan was already being undermined by God's people. So when you look around now and you see that God's ideal is not being followed, don't be surprised. Because nearly 3,000 years ago it wasn't either. Same stuff we're talking about today. If you will, please turn to First Timothy Chapter Two. First Timothy Chapter Two. We'll start with verse eight. First Timothy 2.8 I will Paul says therefore instructing Timothy this young preacher now what he's supposed to ask people to do and not to do how he's supposed to preach because you see the New Testament wasn't written at that time I will therefore that men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting Now please understand something. I'll say this because Ron's not here today. Ron has come to me several times and asked to be forgiven for raising holy hands during the service. And I told him, raising holy hands during the service is biblical. Don't you apologize for that. If that's something you feel like you need to do, you do it. And don't look around. You do it. Verse 9. In like manner also, in other words, just like the men, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothes. Now, let me explain a couple of words. What God is asking for here is the same thing He's asked for in other places with His women. <coughs> that they adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety. Now you need to understand what that word means. We don't use that term anymore. It is a Greek word. And I went and got a Greek New Testament. Every word in the New Testament is written in the original Greek. To figure out what they're saying and how they're saying it, and what the tone of voice means about why they use these terms, shamefacedness is a word that generally means looking down. That's what it says, looking down. It's translated in the Scofield Bible, my study Bible as godly fear. So it says that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness, with godly fear and with looking down. It's a word that means modesty toward men and all towards God. You live in awe of this God that created you who you are and you live in modesty toward men. We looked at that last week. They give the same reasons for it here. That men were first created and woman was the first sin to sin. So it says don't come to the assembly to the meat night with all kind of gold and your hair, you know, $300 hairdos I guess but in a modest way sobriety that is soberness. It's not talking about alcohol here. It's talking about a serious way of thinking about your relationship with the Lord. It's a word that means in the Greek, respectful timidness. When you speak in the meeting, God intends for his ladies to speak with respectful timidness. It's a blend. The Greek word means modesty and humility. That's what he's talking about. That's the word that they chose to use here that we no longer use. It said in the Greek study book, that a human is not a machine but is expected by God to master themselves by the Holy Spirit to not command themselves but to be commanded by God. So self-control is not that I'm in good control of myself but I'm in control by God. I am trying to live a life that shows that God is in control of who I am. I don't do things that would embarrass him or shame him any kind of way. Now let me say this, please. You say, whoa, that's a pretty tough talk. Yes, it is. But let me say this. We have a way of looking at the Jew who was God's chosen people. Now we're God's chosen people as Christians. And God calls us peculiar people. You know what that means? We look peculiar to everybody else. We're supposed to be. If we fit into the masses, to the crowds, then we're not doing something we're supposed to do. We ought to be able to have as our public testimony if somebody is around us a little bit to know that we have been with Jesus and that we know who God is. We know how to act in front of God. We know how to act in front of other people because of God that's in our life. But that which becometh women, verse 10 professing godliness with good works. That's the thing that is to be the most evident thing about a woman who professes a tight relationship with God is the good works that she does, whatever that happens to be. She's known for her good works. Now look at verse 11. Now this is a tricky verse. We already looked at it in other places. And I want, I mean, I I, I spent extra time on this verse because I want to make sure that we understand what it's saying. It says, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Now there's something in the Greek book I found out that I did not know. That eight years before Paul had had to write a letter to the church at Corinth because word had gotten to him that their assemblies, that their services were so jumbled up and loud that they couldn't hear the preacher because the ladies were asking their husbands in the service, what did the preacher mean by what he just said? And they said that they were asking them all over the room to the extent that the people listening couldn't hear what the preacher was saying. That is the particular reason that Paul wrote this commandment, this commandment, this, this this rule if you will because the women did not know how to act in church and they were talking so much asking questions that the people couldn't hear the speaker. Please understand something. In the day that Jesus introduced the church. The only people who had any association with anything called a church were the Jews. They went to the temple. They knew how to act in the temple because they had been going there since they were children. Their parents had instructed them about such things so they knew how but when they came in with Christianity the other people the people who up until then only had the idol temples to go to and they didn't know how to act in church Bob Tyson told me that when they went to Nicaragua and started holding Baptist services in Catholic countries, that the Indians, the ones that came to his services out of the mountains, some of them walking as much as four hours to get to hear him, had never been in church. They didn't know how to act in church. He said they would take two concrete blocks, stand them up on the end, put a tube of 12 across them, and that was their pews. And he said, if a preacher couldn't preach with all those folks talking at the same time, he wasn't much of a preacher. He said, for these guys in the South that look at their watch every time you hear a child whimper one time in the back row, he said, I got no use for those guys. He said, they couldn't last five minutes where I've been preaching for 16 years. He said, I can preach over that. And he said, I don't think a preacher, if he can't, is much of a preacher. Now that was what I was introduced to in the days that I was forming my opinion about what a preacher ought to be way before I ever even thought about being called to be a preacher. I think a preacher ought to be able to preach over anything. It don't matter. Your children are not going to bother me. But there's something I've learned about the new children that come to this place right here. Within three weeks, they're not causing a disturbance. We've proven that. So it don't bother me. Because there's something else that Bob Tyson imprinted in my mind also. The very people that don't know how to act in church is the ones that need to hear what he's got to say. They don't need to get up and leave unless they feel like they need to. They're not going to bother me. They didn't know how to act in church. Their children didn't know how to act in church. So the only way they're going to get a chance to hear anything that a preacher would say that's coming from the gospel and the word of Jesus Christ and the word of God is by listening in a place where it's not completely 100% quiet. But he's asking the ladies, if you're the ones causing the problem, then quit asking your husband. Ask him at home. In another place it says that. Wait till you get home and then if you need to, write down to keep from causing disturbances in the middle of the assembly. The ladies didn't know. The church was only 25 years old they were going all over the country creating new churches in the book of Acts. Nobody had ever been to church before. They didn't know what a church was. But Look at verse 12. In that day, this could be an issue. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to assert authority over the man, but to be in silence. In other words, do not argue with the speaker in the church that's what he's talking about a serpent authority it seems that god has got a special place when a woman is trying to teach doctrine and men are asking questions from the 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 the, the pulpit if you will about what she's saying and question what she's saying and she's standing up there and arguing with the men in the church. That's what was going on. And he said, I don't want that. this pertains to maintaining quiet quiet enough to listen to the speaker during assembly and does not forbid a woman from taking an active part in the work of the church in her own sphere and under the limitations imposed upon her in the text do you see what that says now There's something I won't explain. There is no way that I can stand in front of you and show you what this book says without the authority of the Holy Spirit standing behind me saying, you guys need to listen to this. If he's not here, You're not getting the word from God. If if a woman is not allowed to have the authority from the Holy Spirit to teach doctrine to men in her group, God, God will not tell her what to say. Do you see the problem? He'll pull authority away from her and she's got to speak out of her own mind. She can't talk from what God has told her to say because he's not telling her to say anything because he won't because he tells her not to do that. I tell you, I've known a woman that I thought had the gift of preaching. God has limited the gift of preaching to women to, other, to speak to and teach other women and to teach children. But not to teach men and not to teach in a mixed Sunday school class. So he says the ladies are not to have authority. What he's saying is they don't have arguable authority with the men in front of them. If a man calls a woman down and says, wait, 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 wait. I don't think it means that. She's not to argue with that man about what she's teaching. So you see, if she can't argue with the man and stand behind the authority of what she's teaching, she can't teach that person. So that's the situation we've got. But please understand in those days, in Corinth, at least, I can prove it there, the temples, the church services, if you will, not church like we have it, but the assemblies that they, the idol worshipers went to, the temple prostitutes were leading the services. And that's what he was talking about last Sunday. Having their heads shaved, the people had gotten accustomed to women folks leading the services with idol worship. So then the things that they went into the new church thinking they had already learned from where they had been, he's trying to get them away from that kind of stuff. Now please understand something too. This reason for the men been given authority and not the women was another thing too. Please remember last week that Adam was told not not to sin, not to eat of the tree. When Eve came along, he told Eve, God says we're not supposed to eat of that tree for whatever reason, and it doesn't say, so I don't know. Eve was tempted by Satan. Why Satan approached her and he hadn't approached Adam already? I can't answer that either. I can assume that he figured Eve was the easier target. But he got to her. He tempted her. She not only introduced sin into the world, But she enticed Adam and got him to do it also. Why would she do this? I don't know. Why had Adam not been tempted? I don't know. Why couldn't she have sinned and left Adam out of it? I don't know. It doesn't say. But the fact is she did. And so... For that reason, God says, I don't give her the authority to teach what I say and what I don't say in front of men. Now she can to other people, but not men. And I'm assuming that God will give her authority to teach other women. I have listened to some women preachers who limit their teaching to women and they're very, very authoritative people and they know exactly what that book is saying. Now please understand something else. A woman who teaches in what it said here, in her own sphere and with her limitations that God has given her, is still a God-called teacher and a God-equipped teacher. My daughter, my oldest daughter, both of my daughters are teachers, but my oldest daughter Is a school teacher Was a school teacher For years Educated to be a school teacher And in churches she's been in They've all tried to get her to teach Sunday school And she tries to explain to them You don't understand One of these is a professional teacher And the other is a God called spiritual teacher And I'm not that I am not called to teach God's word I am called to teach kids in school and that's what I've been trained to do. And I wouldn't take the job because I know I'm not supposed to do it. So the p- teachers, we're, talk- we're not running through a church trying to get somebody because we got a class somewhere that doesn't have a teacher. And so we pull people off the street. That's not what he's talking about. The antonym of the word, another word, the opposite meaning of the word, is someone who is domineering. I've seen some of those, some of them who are impotent. They're very bossy about the way they do it, and they will not stand anybody to question anything they say about anything to anybody. and they deal with their business of teaching with a hard look. It's not a godly woman look. It's a hard look. If you will flip over a few pages to the right to the book of Titus, we'll look at our last scripture. Titus chapter 2 and verse 3. But speak, well look at verse 1, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Paul says to Titus, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, that's love, and in patience. And the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. That's not talking about a denomination here. They're talking about set apart for God. not false accusers, not gossiping about people and talking about how sorry other folks are and the way they're acting, not giving to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, serious, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, In other words, think about something before they do it. Chaste. Keepers at home. Now this is, (laughs) I've heard comments about this. This does not mean that a woman's supposed to stay at the house. That's That's not the definition of keeper. Keepers at home is a person who guides the house. In other words, husband, your wife is supposed to have her house like she wants it. It's supposed to run according to the way she wants it to run. And that's what her job is, is to manage the house. Good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Spoken against, in other words. Now, let me say this. That gives the description of what a godly woman is to be. And please understand that some of this description is the comment somebody might make about a church woman. On a Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, she has she to be at church every Sunday, but look at her. During the week, she's out here just like everybody else. That is not the word is supposed to be said of a woman who professes godliness, of a woman who wants a testimony that she has a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's another scripture that I want us to look at If you want to, you can go look at it ahead of time. It's 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1 through about verse 7 or 8. It complies with what's been said already about a godly woman and what God will honor her in her straightening out her husband. Do what? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. She's got an obligation to change her husband if he's not what God wants him to be and how she's supposed to do it. And God will honor her and equip her and get her where she can do that if she'll do it like he says. To my knowledge, that'll be the last sermon I preach on this subject of godly women. We've gotten away from some of the things about women in the assembly, but just godly women in general. But it's all connected. The criticism that could be made of a woman not acting godly in the service could be also the woman in the public. And I want to share this with you before I close. I was in a church in 1975. You drive by it every day. That split. It broke up. They had the bloomingest fight I ever seen. I never saw anything like that happen in church. And it was the ladies that were behind it. I didn't know church ladies could use those words. Didn't know church ladies knew those words that they were using in a meeting in a church. And 128 church members of a church got up and walked out and left 28. 27 women and one man with the facilities. I know firsthand what can happen when the ladies are in charge and they decide to go the other way. It's not a pretty sight. It's really not. And I have some idea after that of knowing what God is talking about when he's saying, Ladies, be particular. Be careful. Be sure that God is behind whatever you do and whatever you say and however you conduct yourself in front of people, as far as your testimony is concerned. But on the other hand, I don't know of a single thing except that they can't teach men that is not directed for the men too. So please understand what I'm saying and what I read that God started out with a plan and you can look around now and see it. it hasn't lasted very long. But I'm telling you this, among God's people, they can still be obedient to God. They can still do what God told them to do. Maybe we need to adjust a little bit. I don't know. That be entirely up to each individual. But I hope I've shown you some of the reasons for Paul saying some of the things he said because there was infractions on record the reason he said what he did let's pray Father teach us work with our hearts direct your Holy Spirit to motivate us to be, all of us, whatever you want us to be and to conduct ourselves in such a way that you would approve. In Christ's name we pray, amen.